0: Kind of this, and the, the big aim of it is we call it gospel fluency, just meaning like, could a reality of the good news of Jesus naturally flow from our actions and from our mouths? Uh, could we feel comfortable living and proclaiming that comfortable? Could it just be a reality where we live that, where we just know how to speak Good news to each other, not cliche, not trite, not memorized phrases, but the truth of who God is, knowing that we all need to continue to hear the gospel again and again to the unbelieving parts of our heart, that we need to experience and see it and be reminded of the good news of Jesus. And we live in a world, our own word is one, where it needs to be demonstrated in word and deed, on and on and on. That's what our desire, to grow in that fluency, Of this that we would know what it means and to live in it and so today on the series the teaching is called two lenses and so the big idea is that we want to we want to wrestle with two lenses of looking at the gospel two paradigms if that would be one of those lenses being a gospel uh, of gospel power and the other one being gospel purpose so that our salvation could be squarely placed upon the work of Jesus but also that we would known that we were being sent out to be his body, his family of redemption and restoration in the world. So those two parts, that there's two lenses for this. That's the big idea today. When we were in California together, a friend of ours kind of led a little experience for us, and he put up this image on the screen, and this phrase is this, the early bird gets the worm. And so I just want to just do this little experience. So, just for a moment to play along, what does this mean? Don't What's that? Don't Okay, what else does it mean? Be rewarded go off first. Be rewarded, who else? What's that? It goes out, goes to work, gets the Who taught you what this means? Parents. parents. Teachers, coaches, parents. <laughs> so my friend did this, um, he's an inner city context. He did this and he invited his community to share. And one of the people said, oh, what does this mean? And they said, stay in bed as long as you can and he said well well, why would you say that and he said because there's hungry birds out there who are going to come and get you right so there's always perspective on the way we see things and so this perspective could be you're the bird and we've been taught this this sort of phrase that we're the bird right but there's another perspective there's a worm right? And they're going to look at this differently. Even if they look at it differently, it's still true, right? And so when we look at this, the idea of the gospel, there's different ways to look at the big story. And the more ways we look at it, the better it is. The healthier it is, the bigger that it is. And so we're going to talk about two perspectives, two ways of looking at it. When I turned 40, my, my father said, hey, anybody over the age of 40 who doesn't have glasses is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and at 40, my eyes went. And so I have a perspective from this, and I can see you all and do this, but if I want to see this, I have to put these on. And so it's a different perspective, Right? So today we want to look at two perspectives, two different ways of looking at the gospel for its good, for our own good. So um, an anchoring text to this was a passage that Paul was speaking to a community called the Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, and it says this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, in Jesus, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now in here, it's really interesting Twice in here, Paul's, kind of, he said a couple different things about reconciliation. This idea of uh, making right the things that were not. And the first one he says here is that there is a ministry of reconciliation that God has released us to, and there is a message of reconciliation that we proclaim. And that's what we want to talk about. There's two lenses. There's a message and there's a ministry. There's a word and then there's, there's a deed. Um, and so the, those are the two lenses we want to look at today of this reality, these two perspectives of the Gospels. Now again, there is more than two perspectives of the Gospel. Don't... Um, there, there are a lot of ways of looking at the good news, and many people have written on the motifs of the scripture. And there are many that are beautiful and good. And the more that we have, the more beautiful and the big that we understand what God is doing in the world. But today, I want to highlight two of them that might expand our idea of what we think the good news is and, and how it's uh, proclaimed and demonstrated in our lives. So the first one is this: the first lens is this: the power of the gospel. Now, when I kind of say that, it's also, that means about understanding how the gospel saves us. When we talk about the power of the gospel or lens with that, mostly this is in some way that we have heard a proclamation about how the good news of Jesus brings salvation into our lives. This message has a lot of themes to it. Maybe you heard this message through a a pastor or at church or through a friend or through a video or listening to a tape or reading something, but it comes to you with content. It's a message of how this good work of salvation comes and is experienced by us. And some of those themes that are part of this perspective of the power of the gospel are the themes of just God being the all eternal one, the creator of all, all powerful, all good. In this sort of thematic, in this story, the power of the gospel, there's the theme of sin that is a part of it. Most understand this theme of sin, how how big it is a part of the story because understanding that Humanity is not the way that it was created and that all of us have kind of, there's a brokenness that each of us in our lives do not line up in the way that we would long it to be. This idea of sin is that we have chosen self-rule, that we would rule ourselves instead of um, adhering to the policies, to the ways of God, that we would do our, we'd go our own way. That's what sin is. So we go our own way in relationships and to God and that this theme of sin says, well, the penalty for going your own way it breeds death the wage of it the outcome of it is death it it breaks everything it destroys everything in it that's one of the themes right sin brokenness of humanity of our lives and the wage of death that comes with it another theme is the reality of Jesus is a part of this message This core message of the power of how salvation takes place that Jesus then comes as God in flesh, the incarnate one, meaning that he doesn't just stand at a distance and do his work. He actually comes in flesh and lives among us, shoulder to shoulder, stepping into our need. For those of you who know the story, you know that Jesus comes and proclaims the message of the kingdom of God and proclaims it with his mouth but then proclaims it with his life of him wanting to reconcile us to himself by paying for the penalty of our sin, by giving his life on the cross, that our sins could be forgiven, that we'd be reunited with God, that death would no longer master us, that sin would no longer master us through what Jesus has done, that Jesus would come and die as a substitute for the penalty of our sins, and he'd be raised from the dead three days later. So we know that thing. that's a big part of this message. Another part of that message is this part of faith, Right? That says, oh, how, how do you receive this? Well, it's by faith. You don't earn it. You don't go out and do good deeds in order to have God's approval. That You, you receive it knowing that you don't deserve it, but God gives it to you as a gift. And you, just, you grab a hold of this free gift. You, just, you receive what you didn't earn by trusting in who Jesus is, not by any effort of our own that we're saved from our own sins. These are some of the themes, and there's many more. And so maybe you've heard this, this this message. What's the good news about this message that is so cool about this message is that God is completely aware of our need and our needs. He's completely aware of our brokenness. He's completely aware of our sins. And yet he steps in, in and through the work of Jesus Christ. He accepts us through the work of Jesus Christ and he recreates us through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's really good news. And this is proclaimed by the power of the Spirit. And this is where we see the power of the gospel, the power of the good news, to be accepted by God, by the work of Jesus Christ, so that our sins could be forgiven, and to be recreated by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the power of the gospel. Can you remember when you've heard portions of that story pieces of it? Can you remember what that was like to hear that and experience it and trust it and believe it? I've heard portions of that story again and again and again and again. I heard it for the first time when I could actually understand it when I was about 15 years old. I can remember when I was 18 and I had heard about the power of the gospel, what Jesus had done, but yet, um, I, I was really struggling to live it, right? What it says that he has the power to accept me by the work of Jesus Christ and to recreate me in Jesus Christ, I had not experienced. I was, I was struggling to experience that recreation. I was 18 years old, kind of still being able to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted at 18, and that's a dangerous place to be if that's your reality. And I was experiencing saying, I'm really struggling with this, of being this sort of recreated and because I didn't feel like I was experiencing this sort of recreation, I stayed away. Because then I thought, oh, um, God doesn't accept me. How quickly it can be that if we think that our life's not in order, that we must stay away. Because somehow we must, be, we must have missed something in the orientation class. We must have not heard it right, right. Because some way we believe God accepts us and forgives us, but now we need to get our lives in order. And I remember being 18, and I showed up for something where there was a number of people who I'd been attending church with, and they're like, where have you been? And I was like, I don't know, busy. We had 18-year-olds busy, you know. Sorry, 18-year-olds. I wasn't busy. Um, and and, but they could kind of see through it, and they're like, "Come, come, come back in with us. Don't run. Don't hide. We want you near. This is the message of the power of the gospel that Jesus continues to proclaim. I was 18. um, I can can remember that moment of being at a park and being reminded of the power of the gospel. I'm accepted by the work of Jesus, and I'm recreated by the same work of Jesus. I'd like to tell you now at 44 I've got it all together, and there's no more recreation that needs to take place in me. Right? But if you know me and you've spent any amount of time with me, the reality that Ben has to get up here and say, "Um, you know what, guys, when people say things that you don't agree with or they do something that hurts your feelings or step in that could you you give it 24 hours and not come up to them? Says that we all still need a lot of recreation. Recreating, Right? This last week, I took this test, it's called the Enneogram, and uh, maybe some of you know what it, what it is, and it's a, it's a test that just sort of helps you to understand maybe um, yourself in different light uh, according to your greatest need. And as I was taking it, it revealed in a way that I, I haven't been able to express, my great need for significance. Long, I, you know, I long for significance. And in this, my longing for significance can drive me to do all sorts of things that are very unhealthy, right? When I was taking the test, I was taking it because I know of many of the areas of my life that still are in great need of recreation. But here's the beauty of the power of the gospel. It's the same truth. By the work of Jesus Christ, God accepts me just as I am right now. And I tell you, I'm in need of immense recreation. I feel it almost intensely as I did when I was 18. But do you know who's at work within me? The Holy Spirit. And so the power of the gospel is that God accepts us as we are, and by the work of the Holy Spirit is in the process of recreating us. And this is not by your doing, you get to participate by acknowledging what is true, not running from what is true, not trying to hide or mask what is true when you too, like me, understand your deep needs and longings that don't line up with God's good so we can lay those out there and continue to fall at Jesus' feet and say, God, have your way and recreate me. Set me free from the traps that I continue to find myself in that are not leading to life and actually away from it. Most of us heard that message about the power. The power one has uh, the the sense of this message proclaimed by our mouths, um, primarily has a very individualistic feel to it, meaning it's a message for you. It's a gospel that you receive. It's about you. It's individual. Um, And so that's the way it's seen. So you can understand if your gospel was only that, a message that was proclaimed one-on-one about how it is that you receive salvation through the truths of Jesus Christ and surrendering your life and faith in Jesus Christ that it could be a rather small gospel. It's a gospel that's about maybe just getting to heaven or just having your life being better or just about personal development, right? Just being the more perfect you, being the more developed you, being the more healthy you. That's really good and I think God wants you to be the you who he's created to not enslaved by all the sins and fears and, and, and frustrations and anxieties that plague us, but if that is the gospel, it's small. And if there's a, if there's a temptation, if there's a pattern within the church, it's, it's really just to embrace that portion of the gospel, just that lens, just that perspective that the gospel is just about an interaction between individuals. Personal salvation, accepting Jesus. It's really good. It needs to be proclaimed. You need to receive it. And it's an ongoing thing that needs to happen. But there's another perspective, another lens that just makes it bigger to go hand in hand. So let me me share lens two. That's the purpose of the gospel. So if you've been with us, you got to hear just it being shared recently when we talked about the big story, the purpose of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created this world. It was perfect. It was good. Um, Humanity rebelled against God um, through the eating of the forbidden fruit, right? If you read the story in Genesis 3, they fall, death and disease and brokenness enter when it was not God's original plan. Separation and brokenness, that's, that's the fall. Then steps in redemption for God is continuing to pursue humanity, to redeem them, to set them free from that point on. it's The climax of redemption comes in the person of Jesus who comes to liberate us. Um, And then when Jesus, through his death and resurrection, and then there is a restoration of all things that began with the resurrection of the dead of Jesus where his life was restored to life and he is no longer dead. And it will end with the restoration of everything. So if I ask you this, the purpose of the gospel, and I'm going to give you the answer. Just look at those arrows. Oh, no, flip back there, Kelly, that first one. The purpose of the gospel is the last word on this slide, the last arrow, right? That's the answer, okay? So the purpose, the purpose, the end of the gospel is restoration. How would you know that? Man, this is a biblically literate people you just you're so good right restoration is the purpose the restoration of all things that is the end in mind that's the purpose what god has done what he has proclaimed so we follow the storyline we can see the purpose of the gospel is about restoration that god is just not about our individual happiness or god's plan for my life but god is about the plan for the world, the world, and from the beginning in the days of the scriptures, the world has been on God's mind, and out the mouth of Jesus was the world, and when we see the early disciples taking that message and believing it, they had the world on their eyes, the restoration of the world, how beautiful it is to have Eric with us today. That we get to understand that what we're talking about is just not for me. It's a message for the world about restoration for the world. And Dan and Sharon continue to come back to us of probably seeing much more of the world than the most of us, especially going to places where Moses will not go on vacations. They continue to bring back this message of restoration for the world. That's the end. You can see this, even if you read Revelation 21, so the, the Bible begins with this book called Genesis, and in Genesis, it tells the story of how God created the world. This is the beginning, as we understand, uh, you know, of the world. It tells the story, how did the world begin? And it starts there. God created it, and in Genesis 21, it says, hey, how is our understanding gonna change? What's gonna happen when Jesus comes back? Revelation tells us, 21, what the end looks like. And again, we can understand what God's purpose is when we look at Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. So this is what it says. This is John who wrote this, or we believe it is. And so, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look! God's dwelling place and now among people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people. And God himself will be with them and their God. So that, that's, that's one picture. We, we know what that is for God to dwell with us now. He dwells with us when Jesus said, I'm with you. But this, this, this will be more intense Right, Because this will be the actual, we will experience this, I think, so often, the presence of God. We miss it. We will not miss this. God will be with us, and we will be with God. And then here's another picture of what this will be. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's a different world. If there's no more death and pain, what has to be fixed? I mean, right? I mean, this is a restoration of all things. A new heaven and a new earth being restored. Being restored in the way that they should. No more death, decay, suffering, mourning. The way that everything is will be right. That's what restoration looks like. That's what it tells us. This tells us this is the end. But, but it's not only the end, it's what Jesus came and proclaimed and said, oh, here's what's actually taking place right now. When he begins to restore things in the way they were should, Jesus called that the kingdom of God being upon us. God's rule happening right now. Now, in the end of Revelation 21, it will all be done away with. Jesus was the first one who died and then was risen from the dead, the first fruits from from the grave. And there will come a time when everyone who has died and all those who have trusted in Jesus and experienced his goodness will be raised from the dead. And more than likely, unless Jesus comes before we die, we will all breathe our last and then in the flash of an eye we'll be restored. As God raises us from the dead, those who have trusted will be restored, Who trusted in Jesus. But this is what restoration looks like, but yet God still longs to have a people who would demonstrate the purpose of the gospel or the way they live, through their actions. They would demonstrate this restoration in the world. So when we get together and we do the warming center, that is a demonstration of the restoration of the way that things should be. Hey, um, what is so wrong, right? What is... What is not right, even with the fact that we have to do a warming center? Can somebody just speak it out? (laughs) Somebody has no home. There's something something that's not right about that, right? That their family relationships are so broken and severed there's no place to be. That they don't have food Home, clothes—it's not right. So when we when we step in that, even for the short period of time, there's a piece of restoration, even though it's not final. And for those folks, for many of them, we're not even able to actually restore them fully from being from out of homelessness into stable homes. we're, We're just providing for them, and that's still good because we're continuing to proclaim, "Hey, this isn't right." But for this time, you have a home, you have a place, you you have food, you have clothes. You have shelter. You have warmth. That's a mark of restoration. A piece of it. So yet in in this moment, when we we look at the story of what it's supposed to look like, Jesus tells us how this restoration, now in the end, it's just going to happen by God's power. But yet we're told how the restoration is going to take place um, now what that's going to look like. We're giving it a hint of how this actually works. We're giving it a hint through the like, hey, what's what's the means through which restoration begins to pour out onto the landscape of the world right now because Jesus has been raised from the dead and the new order has already begun to break in. How does this happen? Well, he tells us when he gives us his mission because it was the same mission that Jesus had. And Jesus' mission was given to the church in Matthew 28, and it says this: This was the mission that was handed to the people. Matthew 28, 18 through20. 20. Then when Jesus came and he said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations." So again, Jesus has, what scope in mind? the world? He has the world in mind when he sends you on his mission of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immerse them into the fullness of God. Every part. You get the Father, you get the Son, you get the Spirit, this beautiful Trinitarian experience of having all of God's fullness. You're immersed into God, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, here's the mission. Here's how restoration happens. Now you're asking, oh, How would that be? So here's my question. I want you to shout out. Tell somebody next to you. You probably want to shout it out. So turn to the person next to you and answer this question. Why do you think that making disciples is God's plan for the restoration of things? Okay, some good talking going there. So I know that for somebody to just shout that out, they might feel intimidated. So I want you to shout out the answer that someone gave you. If you're like, hey, oh, that sounded pretty good. You know, right? So what, what did you say? Why do you think that Jesus said, go make disciples? And, and if you're agreeing with this sort of pathway that this would be God's Mission, hey, here's the mission, of the restorative work of God wanting to see happen in all the world. Why would he making disciples be, be the premise for how this might take place? Who, who had an answer? Reconciliation. Reconciliation, yeah, that's a good answer. Unity. What's that? Unity. Truth and unity, yeah. Spreading good news. Somebody else said something great Yeah. Yeah. hmm It can spontaneously multiply, right, without any permission, right? It can spontaneously spread through the smallest unit, which is two people, right? It's beautiful. Any, anybody else had a? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? So, again, I, I, I'm no expert on this, but see, Jesus, the scriptures tell us um, in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus was the actual radiance of God's glory, right? That Jesus himself radiated this sense of God's presence, what God was like. Hebrews 1.3 the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, sustaining all things by the power of his word. So Jesus is that. The exact reflection. Beautiful. I mean, have you guys felt that when you read the story of Jesus? You're just gripped how good he is. Beautiful he is. Loving he is. Accepting he is. Forgiving he is. Powerful he is. He's the exact representation of the Father. So in Psalm 72, 19, it says this. Praise be to his glorious name forever. This is God. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. How does that happen? It happens when Jesus is radiating in every place, popping up everywhere, these little Jesuses everywhere, who are in representation, Jesus in their context where they live, not in perfection. Right? Not perfect examples of being Jesus, but living examples of those who are learning what Jesus longs of them. They're being directed by what Jesus wants from them. They're being shaped by Jesus's recreating power. They are being influenced by Jesus and continue to pass on that same DNA in discipling relationships to others. So that the whole earth could be filled with God's glory. Now again, that's really religious that's almost as religious as when Ashley got up here and said, in the narthex, we're going to have a meeting here in the end. Incredibly religious talk, right? Glory. The glory of God is, is this, to, to glorify is to make known the hidden excellence and the worth of an object. So that the whole world would see the excellence, the hidden worth, the beauty of God through the person of Jesus Christ, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of the Father. The whole earth would see so. Do you get how maybe restoration could happen? See, one person is affected by the message of Jesus, become discipled, begin to be shaped, as we kind of said, know that we're accepted by the Father, just as we are, and that by the work of the Spirit, we continue to be recreated continuing to be recreated in this process, knowing what the Father wants, um, being motivated by the right things, our hearts being moved by love and justice and goodness and kindness and mercy and forgiveness. And that spreads into, not only to one person, but it spreads into a home, into a family. It spreads into a neighborhood. What happens when it spreads into a city? When a city embraces that message, what happens when a, a whole people accept that message? Really, really do it, not just in, in name of religion, but really start being reformed by Jesus, right? Being, being discipled, transformed, become a learner of Jesus, knowing that he accepts us and yet wants to recreate us and continue to do so in the context of a community of people. That's how you could see the world restored. 'Cause then things like what we heard today were happening, Dan saying that um, that his that his friend who whose family's in trouble and his wife's in trouble, that there'd be a pocket of people who'd bring restoration into that system by being able to leverage their resources for their good. Then there'd be a whole bunch of people who would maybe move together and speak with their mouths and step in with their lives into broken systems and structures and things in the world that are not as they should be. And we begin to see what restoration looked like. We get, to, we get to witness it, taste it. And this restoration that is happening, and many of your lives continue to speak of restoration that God is wanting to do in the world, that your lives are demonstrating the purpose of the gospel, restoration, that when things are not as they should be, you step in with the life of Jesus and say, this is not the way it should be. And so you lay your life down in order for what is not, could be different those of you who are fostering children in here. I mean, Nate and, and Tina are our own pastors, right? Modeling for many of us of what restoration looks like. One just says, oh, I'll give up my life for the sake of this child who at this point, um, for whatever reasons, right, for, doesn't have that, the, the stable family environment. Now, I can, I can say right now for the moment, that's not how it should be, Right? not how it should be it's not how it should be for those parents it's not how it should be for that baby it's not how it should be but restoration is saying you're stepping in in order to restore what, what could be and at this moment that baby the babies that are here and there's a number of them that are in the foster care and are adopted within us they're being loved and they're being cared for and they're bonding and they're connecting because we know it's like us. not should it be the baby needs to bond right the baby needs to have love and affection at the moment i will give that to them And God willing, they'll be restored to their parents, to their birth parents in the right time. Or maybe not. Maybe they'll then continue to hold them and receive them and adopt them into their family so they can be restored into family because that's the way it's supposed to be. But could you imagine what it would be like for a whole people to be moving towards that? To demonstrating God's love and His purposes and His good in the world together. So, the purpose of the gospel is about demonstrating it through action. God's restoration. And this is not about individuals. This is about a people doing so in the world. And there's been movements in our world that have done this, that have made profound impact. As Christians, locked arms together and have spoken up against the injustices of the world. It would be slavery or the abuse of children or the idea of even of of, um, addiction. It's coming out with alcohol at different times. Of racism. Or they've stood up and said, hey, there's, there's people who are dying of poverty all over the world. Right? And so we need to step into that. Not out of duty, not out of... We're stepping into that because we have been called to be little Jesuses. And to see the world restored. Because that's the purpose of the end. And so anything that begins to point to that is good. And we should be doing that. That is also a piece of the gospel And if we're to experience a big gospel, we need to have both. Where we speak with our mouth this message of the things of who Jesus is and his power to accept and transform and we need to see it demonstrated by people who live out this truth, not perfectly, but who demonstrate the restorative work of God. And that is only possible, again, by the Holy Spirit breathing upon us by Jesus, who is our head, leading us forth into his work, empowering us so that we can do it, and inviting us to say yes. And in that end, the whole earth will be filled with his glory as the disciples of Jesus are released in every corner of this world, in the context of community, stepping into the restorative work. And as his disciples fill the earth, education, education, Media, government, homes, cities, neighborhoods can begin to see the glory of God and Christ in us. That's the big picture of God's purpose. So when we both hear the good news, uh, when the world both hears the good news and witnesses a demonstration of restoration they are the most inclined to believe. When they hear it and they see it lived out, that's compelling. And so I think many of us have gotten chances to witness that, to hear it and see it. That's the big gospel. and So what does that mean for us? That's the picture, right? That we'd be people who could hear it and see it. That we could be a people who could speak it and live it in the context of community. Let's pray. So Father, as we hear this awesome, beautiful, that it is your plan for the world that we are seeing lived out and that was inaugurated, God, through your intent and your purposes that are written in the scriptures. We praise you, God, for your great love, for your plan. And we pray, God, that, um, that as well, that we could hear your invitation to the gospel of truth and the power of it to be accepted by you through the work of Jesus Christ, that we could be accepted just as we are because your power to forgive our sins is present right now. And that, God, we could also accept your power to recreate us, not by our own work, but by your power of the Holy Spirit. We could also, Lord, say yes to your invitation to follow you, your invitation of others to be shaped by you in discipleship, and to say yes to sharing what we have learned with others to shape them, and to say yes to joining you in activity to show the gospel by the way we live. Would you invite us into what you are doing in the world and your plans of restoration that we could say yes? that we can not only be people who speak, but people who do. Because both are necessary. So Lord, come and, and, and let us be people of this big, big gospel, these perspectives. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, So if you're in a small group, we're kind of talking about this. You're, you're going to be looking in your community and you're going to be taking a walk in your neighborhood. And you're going to look around, you're going to say, hey, What's not right here? What, what does it seem to be right in our context? What seems to be broken that will be restored? Let God show you. And he's not inviting you to look at that so then you can move by yourself, but maybe you can move a people with you to say, hey, could we step in? Is God inviting us? That's always a conversation we should be having here. And maybe it is saying, hey, no, I also need to proclaim and I need to open my mouth and talk about the good news who Jesus is. This time before we go, so I'm gonna encourage you, get in a group, go to your group, have that discussion, do those tasks, let Jesus shape you in that discipleship conversation, being a learner of his and, and stepping into it this week. It's gonna be really, really good.